Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. People Show brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together at DLEAMC.com. You can always be part of the show and get involved. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox as well. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Bik Nazar, Satyar Shah, Victor, Dom, running the show today. Pumped to uh, talk to you, Cassette. Uh, Yo, what's happening? We need a full scouting report uh-huh. of uh, a player that uh, was near and dear to your heart. Uh, Peter Forsberg? <laughs> Was Peter Forsberg like your guy growing up? One of them, one of them for sure. I mean, like Burray. Burray is what made mm-hmm. me a Canucks fan when I was living in Sweden as a little kid, and it was Forsberg ended up being like my favorite player of all time. I see that. I see that. Uh, but no, the guy who has spent uh, seven years at Stanford Bridge. Oh, Stanford Bridge. Aiden Hazard. Aiden Hazard. What do you want a Hazard update for? He's- do you not see the headline today? What headline? The Whitecaps on the verge of making a huge addition, which frankly would be like the largest acquisition in Vancouver sports history. Wait, 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 wait. The Whitecaps are rumored to get Eden Hazard? Allegedly. Come on. Allegedly. I don't buy it. The Whitecaps buy Hazard? Real Madrid had to pay $100 million to not play him. <laughs> how, much think, how, much think, how much do you think the Whitecaps have to pay to get him? Oh, the amount of friends that sent me this article. <laughs> I, I can't even remember where it's from, but... Uh, there was a report today. Was it Daily Mail? Because you know when the Daily Mail says it. It honestly might have been. Daily uh, Mail is gospel. It's the Daily Mail might be the worst. Like Daily is it Mail gossip rumors? or gospel? Gossip. Gospel. Very, gospel. Uh, it was. It was. Was the it Daily, Daily Mail? Mail? There we go. I knew it. <laughs> Anytime you want to, you want like fake uh, reports or reports you don't want to trust for European soccer transfers. It is Daily Mail for sure. Oh man. Uh, Daily Mail, very reputable. There's already been local reports as well. Uh, I think Ken it down. Campbell works for them. <laughs> There's, there's, been, there's been numerous local reports already shooting it down. But, you know, that was a fun fun couple hours. Just be like, oh. And by hours, I mean seconds. Just be like, can you imagine? Has it already been debunked? Have the, what, have, what are the local reporters here saying? I'm sure they've been digging into uh, it, haven't they? No truth to it. No truth to yeah. it? No? Yeah. Well, that's Vanny. Yeah, yes. we should. I am so down. Yeah, Vanny Sartini's joining us, 5.30. Yeah. yeah, later on in the show, okay. about 90 minutes. All right, sweet. We'll, we'll ask him. Eden Hazard. But I mean, what? They've added Sam Adekubi and mm-hmm. Richie Larea, which is two big additions that are back and two Canadian stars for the national team. Why, why are you talking about reality, though? But I'm just saying those guys are coming. That's good. The, the Whitecaps can't afford Eden Hazard. Let, let's wish cast this one into it's existence. It's not happening. Like, you know how much the Whitecaps have to pay for to get Eden Hazard? Like, okay, you don't have to buy, pay a transfer fee because he's a free agent. You'll get him on a free at least. But his salary is going to, like, he's not coming here to pay play for like 500000 you no. know, or for like the ten, whatever you want to come up with, he, 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 you're gonna have to pay him at least, at least six, seven, eight million. Eden, here's this piece of land in the British properties. The Whitecaps, the Whitecaps aren't giving up. They're, they're not doing that. Come on, they're not doing they're just that. Just handing out land. Come on. But he would be. I mean, it would be the biggest, biggest. addition in this market since. I know people don't want to hear it. Probably since signing Messier. Right? In terms of like big time star. 
Is there a bigger NBA star that was here? Pff, no. no. Grant yeah. Long was the best free agent they signed. Come on. <laughs> Otis Thorpe trade was massive. Cherokee Parks? Yeah. No love for Matt Sundin. Oh, I mean, Sundin no, fits Sun- in. No, Sundin would have been like the post-Messier one. Yeah, I, post-Messier one would be Sundin, but also Sundin. Yeah, I mean, you could you can make the case Sundin, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Luongo acquisition, but it's not but a free agent. But it was agent. a free agent, yeah. right? But but the Hazard one, it would be I, the, again, be the, of, he would be the biggest global star without a doubt away. that this city has signed, no doubt. If only, but if they're not only. doing that. They're just leaving room to sign Neymar. Yeah. I, I, maybe Ancelotti <laughs> told them go to Vancouver because he lives out here in the yeah, off season, West right? Man. Yeah, he's yeah. He, he's too busy videoing uh, David De Gea transfers <laughs> to Real Madrid, though. Apparently, right. uh, we'll, we'll have more uh, soccer talk through the course EPL of the show. preview later. Please? Yeah, we'll, right, we'll have Vanny uh, as well joining us at uh, five thirty. Uh, Curtis Crabtree is going to join us in about 20 minutes. Eden Hazard? Uh, it's it's wild, isn't it? No way. There's no way. I mean, honestly, if 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 the Whitecaps get Eden Hazard, I will buy season tickets on the spot. He, he would be like, hey, the chant is fairly similar. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty similar. I'm so triggered, though, as a Chelsea fan right now. Like, both Dom and Vic before the show were getting under my skin. Same thing with you. Like, I'm... I'm on. I'm. I'm. I'm a little bit stressed out about the, the, the season hasn't window. even started. How are you triggered? They might miss out on Caicedo. I don't know. Maybe they won't. They're I don't not. Know. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm stressing. Yeah. I'm stressing. All right. I'm on edge. Good uh, thing I have a few days off after today. <laughs> I need two weeks off after today. Man can only work three days consecutively <laughs> during the summer. My He's summer. Like, I'm winded. He walked in and you were like rushing when you came in because you you showed up like ten minutes late. It's not a big deal. We survived. But you were you were rushing and Don was like, "Are you out of breath?" And I was like, this is third day in a row. This guy can't work this many days in a row. <laughs> I can't do three days in a row. Three days, way too much nowadays. Uh-huh. I mean, my summer schedule, work schedule is like a trolling schedule. I show up for like three days here, three days there, and then off for like weeks in between. You're just the teaser for the uh, fall, full full season. It's honestly my partner being like, you need to get out of the house for a few mm-hmm. days. I just can't handle you anymore. Uh, Okay. Curtis Crabtree is going to join oh, us yes. in about 25 minutes. Uh, Eden Seahawks. Hazard? No. <laughs> Seahawks what, is, what does he think about Eden Hazard? <laughs> Seahawks He's play. The, Sounders. <laughs> uh, the Vikings tonight. Josh, you worried about the Vikings? Yeah, Josh is full on fist pumping. It's a preseason game. He's not worried. Uh, they play the Vikings tonight in a preseason game. Uh, Harmon Dial will join us as well at uh, 5 o'clock from The Athletic in Vancouver. I had a cool piece over at The Athletic today. Just talking about the mentality of players. Uh, as they get ready for star level players, as they get ready to sign these huge contracts, uh, getting ready for into their unrestricted free agent years. Uh, so we'll talk about that with uh, Harmon, who will join us uh, just under an hour from now. Obviously, with the scope of Austin Matthews and Elias Patterson getting ready to sign uh, their next deal, six fifty, six fifty. What's going on? I just turned on the radio and heard Hazard talk signing with the Whitecaps. That happens. That club might actually get my dollars back. You and me both. But no, it's 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 not going down. It's not going down. It's been it's been debunked. I saw Patrick Johnson debunked. mentioned yeah. something on on Twitter yeah. saying the, the Whitecaps are denying. Yeah, you can check out on Post Media again. We'll, we'll get official, grill Vanny yeah. Sartini about we'll, this. We'll get the official word uh, from Vanny in about we'll uh, grill Vanny Sartini <laughs> in hours. Tell time. us now. I want to know, man. You disrupted my morning with with Hazard talk. <laughs> I want to know how this came about. What's the leak? Because it's not as if, okay, because three Man United fans here, yeah, yeah. myself, Vic, and uh, Dom, we're very aware how European clubs have used Man United to leverage hundreds of thousands of dollars out of tran- or, uh, wages or fees, whatever it is. Who's using the Whitecaps as like the leverage? Be like, 
Hey, Hazard might go to. It's like using Watford. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are going to outbid you. Got to be careful. They're yeah. in on Caicedo. I, I, I just, what a funny rumor today. Uh, fun, it's, funny, it's funny. Rumor. All Hilal is the one. All Hilal, right? It's, it's, I don't know where he's going to end up. But I, I can see. I mean, that's that's what I've been that's thinking. That's that's where I think Hazard would go. Just get paid a ton of money, go there for a couple of years. Because mm-hmm. you know, Eden, Eden just likes to like drink and eat and just play soccer and not really train just, super hard. Just unnaturally blessed with skill. Yes, and not necessarily with hard work. Yeah, he he even but, like at his best in Chelsea, he was always like. But there was again like a, a uh, there five was a, year stretch oh, where it was like this dude's just as good as Messi. No, there was a. He was he was hands down the best player in the Premier League for mm-hmm. a good two and a half three years. Yeah, and then when you don't train as well, yes. that catches up to you. Well, he had point. off year. He had a year. It was funny because every year he was in shape. Chelsea would win the champ, would win, win the Premier League, and any year he was out of shape, they like finished sixth or seventh or tenth. Mm-hmm. It really came down to like how serious Hazard was taking his off season. <laughs> the season was won and lost at the preseason fitness test. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Uh, 650, 650, uh, again, be part of the show, not just because uh, we always love your interaction throughout the course of the show. Uh, we also have the mailbag today. Sweet. Uh, you can uh, reply to Sat's tweet online, at Sat T.R. Shaw, or just text in 650, 650. We'll do that later on in the show uh, as well. But what do we want to actually uh, touch on today? Uh, I mean, I'm still rattled about the whole Eden Hazard <laughs> thing. I mean, okay, so... If we talk about free agents, there's still some pretty good European yeah. soccer free agents. We're not going to bore you by going over those. We'll, we'll do that later. We'll, yeah, we'll talk we'll about that, that later on the maybe. show. But I oh, mean, yo, because we're talking about what ifs. Yes, like what if? Yes, has our what if in here? Yes, we want to touch on some some Canucks what ifs. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple I want to pitch by you. Okay. And there was a piece over at NHLPA, uh, a feature on Anthony Bovillier, to, uh, in the last day. You're going to ask and, me, what if they trade him? No, 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 no. That's too boring. Okay. But I think there's this, like, idea that, like, what happened in those last 33 games is not real hockey for the Vancouver Canucks and, and mm-hmm. with Bovilli with here. And there's elements of truth that, absolutely. He did put up a rather nice point total he had a in 33 season. games. Yeah. If he had 20 points in 33 games, I believe that would have been second highest points per game for his career, or the highest in his career. He ends up with 40 points total, which is the highest. He's never eclipsed He's never 39. eclipsed, but I think the yeah. points pace either was the highest or second highest in his career. Mm-hmm. Very close. It, it was the highest. What if Anthony Bavillier is the same version of what we saw last season? Well, I think it... I think what it does, it makes you feel pretty good about your top six. Because mm-hmm. I think what we talked about quite a bit is we know Kuzmenko and Patterson. That's going to be a duo you feel really good about, right? And then it's like, okay, we know Miller is going to center a line. Mikheyev's the next best winger they have, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, there, it's, there's five guys. I think we we etch in, right? And it's like Mikheyev, Besser, Kuzmenko, and the two centers, right? And there's this conversation of like, but Colson. Hoaglander, Joshua, PDG, who was on that role there for so long and and doing his job. And Bovillier just kind of like been in that. And it's like, if there's a way you can get Bovillier with Garland on the third line, then okay, that's something that's different. But someone has to take a step. But you're asking someone to basically take the step that Bovillier was actually producing last year in McKay's spot because McKay was out injured. But what, what if Anthony Bovillier can actually fulfill a top six role? Because there was like a a small glean in in Patrick Alvin's eye acquiring him, and he went out of his way to be like, "Hey, when we were in Pittsburgh, this guy scored against us, especially in the playoffs." As much as there's an a contractual 
asset reason that they got him because you can flip him certainly. What if he is better than we all think? Well, I think that's the I think that's the best thing for the organization because if his if he can play to that level, number one, you feel good about the start you have this season. But then he he's a really intriguing asset for you come the trade deadline. And I'm not even saying if the Canucks are out of the playoffs where they can trade him. He's a, he's a perfect type of player for them to be able to use to get assets back in return and maybe chase somebody that can fit in with them longer term. You know, and I, and I think we talk so much about. Um, deadline deals that happen and, mm-hmm. and we always frame it in the in the view of like you're either buying or you're selling you can do both yeah and i think we saw a couple of teams kind of look at that and even vancouver we saw do something similar with the bull horvat trade get assets and move somebody else and go out and get philip heronic yep. for instance that's something that this organization has this regime has done in a couple a couple years in a row in, in terms of making moves around the deadline or close to it and i think if you can get that with bavillier because as well as he can play i don't feel comfortable paying him the type of money he could be that's demanding. The That's the thing. It, it's it's the Tanner Pearson conundrum all over again. Well, yes, exactly. And you, the reason I also say that is, at some point, you're gonna need somebody to emerge. Right? Yes. At some point, whether it's Put Colson, whether it's Hoaglander, whether it's Lakaramaki, whether it's somebody else, you can't be paying all your yep. guys. You know, you're gonna have somebody have to come in on an ELC. And at the at the very least, if he can say keep this team in a playoff spot. He gives them good production, and then he becomes a strong asset for them at the trade deadline. I think that helps them considerably more than, say, trying to put PDG in the top six and having Bavillier on the third line. And then he's just a guy making four and a half million play on the third line, giving him a little bit of something, which isn't going to be that great of an asset. Which are constant problem issues across the league of having overinflated contracts on the third line. But we're getting ready for camp just over a month away. And there's this hope that, hey, it's, it's, it's Coles in step. It's Hoaglander's chance. And I still look at this and I think, man, Bovillier is just kind of just hanging around there. It's a name that's kind of getting overlooked at this stage where because it was the end of a bad season, mm-hmm. maybe there wasn't a lot of attention paid to him of, of what it means in the grander scheme. I could see a scenario where it is Mikheyev and Bovillier, Besser and Kuzmenko are your top four wingers. And then suddenly... Once you get to February, the dynamics could change. Hey, you certainly give time for someone like Put Colson to, you know, get his feet wet even more if you need more time in the AHL. What do you look like come February? Come up, play, don't go from fourth line, maybe you get added time. Go straight from the AHL straight to the second line. You're our deadline acquisition if we're in a spot where we're competing and now we're getting in assets. I, I just I think we're so focused on what the March lineup will look like in September rather than what the journey will look like to get to February. And right now, like someone like Beauvillier, understand that's not a, a long-term plan. But right now, this this is still very much about like getting to the playoffs. Yes. And can he contribute for four months to help you get there? Well, and I think if he can do that, I think then, number one, it makes sense why they held on to him. Because I think stylistically, there are a lot of things that he fits in well for, right? And I know it almost seems uh, it almost seems unfair to the guys to come in, play your best, have a great season, and then we'll get rid of you right before. But I think that's exactly the type of move this organization is going to have to do to get value somewhere, right? Like we we keep talking about guys like Brock Besser, we keep talking mm-hmm. about guys like Connor Garland. It's just not happening, mm-hmm. you know. Like for for Brock to become the type of asset you want, he's going to have to score what thirty some plus goals. But if he does that, why do you want to trade him, right? If if he and I'm not saying you yeah. should, you won't. But I'm saying in terms of how the organization is going to view it. If Besser, like, all of a sudden goes back to being a goal-scoring winger 
And one thing we've seen with this regime, they really like to pair their top centers with somebody who can score goals. Mm-hmm. And you have them under control for one more year after this. I think if Besser becomes the player everybody's waiting for, to some degree, they're not going to be in a hurry to move him, right? Garland, it's kind of give or take, right? Are you sure he's going to be able... Like, what is he going to have to do? That one feels like a fait accompli, to be honest. Pretty much, right? it, it, He'd have to, like, blow the doors away to make you change your mind, I think. But the opportunity is not really going to be there for him to blow the doors down. Playing third line, second power play, there's a ceiling on what you can do. Especially when you're playing with Teddy Bluger mm-hmm. and to be determined on the third line. It's not like you got Phil Kessel on the other wing. And it's like, hey, we got a instant goal scorer right there. If I feed him, we're going to pot so many goals as a third line. Like there's a shelf life where Connor Garland's gonna have to grind, but I think there's a reality where he gets like 45 points. But it's it's gonna be a grind to get to those 45 minute points when you're paying, playing on the third line. And even if he does, given how his contract is structured, too, like he'll still be owed 12 million after next season. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of becomes still it's a big number even for a guy getting 40, 45 points. So. And I know there are fans listening now saying, well, if Bavillier is playing well, then why would you trade him? Why not keep this guy? You only have so much cap space, right? And one of the other things that this organization needs is to find value somewhere, like we kind of mentioned. And where's that value coming from? You know, it's either going to have to be you somehow Myers miraculously plays well and all of a sudden during the trade deadline, you retain money and somebody's willing to give you second plus and that gives you a little something, right? But... As we've seen with this organization, when was the last time they traded somebody and got a second round pick back? You know, and, and I know you can look at a second round pick and say, well, you know, it's not even that valuable, but in trade, it's super valuable. Mm-hmm. And if the Canucks have some cap space and are finally able to acquire a couple extra draft picks, especially at the deadline, and they have some flexibility, now is there a player that has some term on his deal that you can be in on? Mm-hmm. And have you built up enough asset capital that you can you can part one of your prospects that all of a sudden looks somewhat somewhat intriguing? So could you be in the mix for the type of addition this organization needs up front or even on the back end if you have a player like that that's that's playing decently? And I think that's gonna be one way, something that has to go right for this team, this Canuck squad, for them to be able to acquire those types of players, right? It's either that or literally this season it's a breakthrough season for Hoaglander, or it is a breakthrough season for Pukolson. Uh, is this right? The last time they acquired a second round pick would have been 2015 for the Tortorella compensation. Yeah, could very well be. Yeah, 2015. I mean, uh, technically, Bieksa? yeah, Bieksa, they got a second round pick for. They got a second round pick for Jason Garrison. But again, we're going back. Yeah, now. you you see, like it's, wild. Yeah, uh, yeah, like and I know second round picks, right? But still, like for this organization, it's been very difficult for them to acquire them. Uh, 650, 650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Dan on Commercial Drive. I will not tolerate this PDG <laughs> slander. Hey, I really like PDG. And I think there's a lot of people overlooking that he's kind of the incumbent in that spot. And it, it's an interesting camp, camp battle I want to see. Mikheyev, PDG, Bouvillier, Putkolzin, Hoaglander, Joshua, how that all shakes out amongst those wingers. But the way you know, production does still matter. And PDG fit, still got to be able to produce. You do, you have to produce. And I know he skates okay. But on that line, if you go PDG, Miller, and and Besser, 
especially against some faster teams and against teams that can mm-hmm. play with a bit, not only pace, but can also play with some physicality and straight ahead. I, I see that that's a bit of a problem for him. Like PDG is good at getting in on the four check and four checking, but through the neutral zone and doesn't have a ton of speed. I, I just f- find that line to be a bit too plotting, especially when they don't have the most mobile back end. Like, Heronic moves well, but Heronic's not a, not a speedster. Like he skates well, but he's not a speedster. Quinn Hughes skates well too, but he's he's also like for for as great as Quinn skates, he's not the fastest in a straight line. That's not to say he's slow. He's not, but he's more of a dynamic change of direction, change of direction yeah. skater as opposed to an explosive like I'm gonna blow through guys through the neutral zone. So I, I just find if that's what you're going with for the entire season. It's gonna you're gonna be lacking a little bit of pace. I think this Canucks team still lacks pace as it is. We understand uh, Austin Langley's texting it. I was pretending to be Richo. It's like we we we, we get we got the it. joke. We get the joke. Uh, this one, uh, boys, for whatever reason, uh, Jeff and East Hill. I see Beauvillier. I've seen a lot of Beauvillier playing hockey. I always had the same feeling. This guy could be more than a top nine, bottom six guy. But after he came, I really didn't get that feeling anymore. And I truly think that Hoaglander will actually outperform them by a mile. Great third line guy, though, I think. That is Jeff in East Hill. Again, it's, it's, it's the same conversation. There's potential. How do you translate into production? Right. So I think ideally in terms of building up assets and giving yourself some chance, giving yourself a chance and being realistic about what Hoaglander and Pitkolz are going to offer you this season, I think the best case is, like I said, Bavillier emerges or is able to really carry a top six spot. But if you're looking at what's best for this team, but I think this is unrealistic, is that Hoaglander like blows up in training camp and like he's he's on fire. And all of a sudden on your third line, it's Bavillier and Garland between Bluger. Yeah, that all of a sudden is, is an interesting third line for because for all the uh, offense and skill that Bluger lacks, having those types of wingers I think really helps in a third line role. And I think especially with Garland being the primary puck carrier, especially in the offensive zone, I think it creates some possibilities for you. So in terms of this team hitting the ground and being competitive right off the bat, but I just think that's that's too idealistic. Like, I'm, okay, let's. I, I just don't buy that Hoaglander is gonna has figured it out. I think he can. I just don't think he's ready now. Let's stack that group of wingers right here. Not how it stands, just how you think it'll play out during training camp. Um, I'm gonna remove Brock and Kuzmenko just because of the scoring wingers, right? But let's just put Mikheyev, Beauvillier, um, Joshua, put Colson, Hoaglander, PDG. I've also removed Garland because it just feels like that's destined to be third line. Yeah. That group of wingers, how do you feel like it stacks out after training camp? And we're looking at it like, okay, who won the camp battles? Right. And this is obviously, okay, so, well, I'm open to changing my mind when I see, when we can see something in training camp in the preseason. I'm only including McKay because of the injury. Right. No, I mean, I think McKay is number one mm-hmm. still. Um, and then I think you have to put Pavilion number two. Like, if I'm stacking them, right, mm-hmm. based on what they've done so far. And... This I, is where it gets interesting. I'd almost want to put put Colson ahead of Hoaglander. I just feel like there would be more trust in put Colson than Hoaglander by the coaches. I I don't even think that's that even that close of a conversation. The interesting one to me is is put Colson going to beat up PDG. Right. That's the one that's interesting. It's like I don't know if either put Colson or Hoaglander are going to jump a Beauvillier. But the for what you said, the level of trust. There's a lot of trust in how PDG plays hockey. Yes, and well, he because he. He doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. Like, yeah, he may lack some stuff, but that's not his fault. And coaches don't ask you to do something you can't do. Precisely. We're, we're building out projection of saying, like, hey, this guy can do... Look, they're high picks. Like, 
but Colson's a high pick, first rounder. Nils Hoglander's a second rounder. By the way, like PDG's a second rounder, way back, but he's a second rounder. But he's a journeyman. But yeah, he's a he's re recapturing his career. Yeah. But there's still the element of like, hey, this guy's still young. He can be this other thing, provide some goals, and you're banking on potential. But it gets to that stage of like, if you're not providing it, I'm going to go with the guy I can trust because he's doing exactly what I want. We're no longer banking in or baking in the potential of what you can be if you don't show it to us. And you know what I don't want to hear this season? Why is put Coles, Why is PDG playing ahead of these guys? Yes. And I have my doubts about them being ready. But I don't want anybody being like, oh, how come this team is playing PDG ahead of them? That's that's a put Coles in a Hoaglander problem. Yes. It, it, we're officially at the age now where it's like, if if you are 22 and holds Hoaglander, I want to say 23. 23, yeah. Yeah. If you're not beating them out at this age, that's a you problem at this stage. Well, yeah. And like, if you can't beat out PDG and you can't put yourself at least on the level with Bavillier, who's a UFA, right? And is, is not a legitimate top six mm-hmm. player. Like you don't like sure there are guys you have to outperform, but we're not talking about world beaters here. PDG's signing a, has a league minimum contract essentially. Mm-hmm. I know it's a two year deal, and hopefully it ends up being a bargain, and he's a fantastic fit for this team for sure. But these aren't players this organization is going to prefer over those players unless they perform, and it's on them. It really is on them. And now I don't think Hoagland is going down because of the waivers thing or whatever it is. But if he wants to not be the thirteen forward, it's, it's 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 on you, man. We'll see what happens in preseason. That's uh, a month away. We'll see what happens in preseason tonight in the NFL. Things get underway. We will talk to Curtis Crabtree from Fox 13 in Seattle on the other side. Seahawks and Vikings get going tonight. Uh, more on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. We'll jump back into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox in just a bit. It's People's Show coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Bik Nazar and Satyar Shah with you today till 7 o'clock. That's when things will kick off for the Seattle Seahawks and Minnesota Vikings tonight. And let's connect with Curtis Crabtree now from Fox 13 in Seattle. Uh, find out what's going on with the Seahawks uh, before this first preseason game. Nice to see football just back on the TV. Not the Hall of Fame game. We're uh, watching the Texans and Patriots. CJ Stroud trying to figure it out versus Bill Belichick. Uh, but let's talk to Curtis now. Curtis, how are you? I'm good. How's it going? Ah, fantastic. Uh, getting ready for this first preseason game. Uh, how have the Seahawks come through uh, this part portion of training camp, getting ready for uh, the first preseason game? Yeah, I think it's gone pretty well, the plan for them so far. They've had a couple injuries crop up that's going to keep guys out of the lineup tonight coming out of last week's mock game scrimmage that they did on Friday. Nothing significant, really, but just kind of things that because it's still August 10th or whatever it is, uh, just manage it a little bit right now for the time being and, and all of those sorts of things. Like You're not going to see Ken Walker tonight. You're probably not going to see Tyler Lockett. He's got a little hamstring thing. Devin Witherspoon, same thing. Um, but I think they've, you know, finally getting some pads on again and seeing what that kind of looks like. I, I think you've you've learned about all I think you can learn about what this team's going to be from this kind of setup and practice and training camp. Now you need to kind of see how it stacks up with them 
playing somewhat closer to real football in preseason games here moving forward. And, you know, as somebody who's not a Seahawks fan but watches the Seahawks very closely, I, I also find it interesting that when I look at this roster, and I know we, we got to see what happens here uh, through training, I mean, through the preseason and early in the season and whatever, but I feel like the roster doesn't have a ton of holes outside of maybe some depth at, uh, at the D-line position a little bit. But when you kind of look at this team on paper coming out of training camp, how strong do you think it looks comparatively to other years? I think it's a very solid team with its depth, and I wonder if it has the ceiling that they would need to be like a true contender type. But ultimately, I think when you look at their roster, it's not saying these guys have that ceiling because those guys were ridiculous, but it's probably as deep and talented a secondary group as they've had since the Legion of Bloom era. There's a lot of guys that can play football on the back end that they have this uh uh, currently in camp with them, uh, multiple safeties. The cornerbacks are, have all been fantastic in camp so far. Um, all of that looks really good. I'm not saying they have that kind of peak potential in them, but like from a depth perspective, it's a really good group that they have on the back end. Um, the offensive skill position pieces look perfectly capable. Jackson Smith and Jigba look super smooth and like a natural slot piece that should be able to to compliment Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and all that. The questions for this team are going to be, can Geno Smith come close to, exceed, somewhere in the neighborhood of replicating what he did last year? And can the defensive line stop opposing run games and not get gashed um, right off the, the line of scrimmage? I think those are the two biggest areas you have to look at with this team and wonder about what it's going to be, and we just don't really have answers to yet. Uh, I, I feel comfortable that Geno Smith's going to have a good year, I, I, th- I, don't, I didn't think anything you saw from him last year was entirely fluky or anything like that. I thought he played well, but you want to see him do it again. And the defensive line continues to be like my biggest concern for them is because you had like the, the Saints game last year where Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill ran for over 200 on him. Josh Jacobs ran for over 200 in the Raiders game. Um, they just struggled with running games all season long, and it kind of trickled down their defensive issues from there. So I think that's their biggest areas of concern when I look at their roster. Just going to last year and and kind of using what the team looks like this year, because I felt like last year it was an easy schedule, and I thought there would be a team that does surprise some people. Now, you, you mentioned it's like, hey, it looks like a solid group this year. Is it solid because of what the NFC looks like, or is it just solid objectively looking at it compared to what an NFL team should look like? I think both. Um, I, I think they've got plenty of really good NFL players on their team. Um, you look around their roster and you look at it, it's like there's not like any like clearing weaknesses. Even like my concerns on the defensive line, it's not like the guys that they have can't play mm-hmm. NFL football. It's just whether they can get to the level that they need to truly be like a competitive uh, contending type of team. So I, I, I think they, they're, let's put it this way, I think their floor is high. I think they've got a really high floor for what they can be this year. What, what, the, what the ceiling of it ends up being, I don't know. I think that's where the questions I have about them come in. But I think they're, they're a, a solid group, um, plenty of talent on the roster, and um, now we need to start seeing whether they can answer some of the questions. Oh, and I think that's uh, one of the most fascinating things for me offensively is what we saw from Geno Smith. How much of that can you replicate? And, and honestly, watching him like in terms of what he did, I didn't see anything that you looked at and said, oh, he's he's running some percentages. He got a hot and he got lucky. Like there's a lot of stuff he did that you said, OK, this can get translated again. And I know it's easy to look at it and say, well, you have DK Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett. Now you add uh, N- uh, Smith Nick Jigba as well. And if you look at the the weapons they have offensively, 
what do they? What has to go right? Do you think for them to not only replicate what they did last year offensively, but maybe even be better? I, I think if the offensive line makes a little bit of a step forward, if Evan Brown can give them more stability at the center position, I thought that was their their biggest weakness on the line last year was that Austin Blythe just struggled to hold up at times, particularly as the season went along. I thought it kind of fell off a little bit more and more as the year kind of continued on. Um, you're going to need to get, you know, similar kind of production out of the running back group with, with Ken Walker. He's nursing a groin issue right now. Zach Charbonnet was limited for a few days, uh, sat out for, for a shoulder issue early in camp as well. Kenny McIntosh looks like he could be a nice find for them out of the seventh round and everything. But that's a lot of, like, you know, you think they can be that. Now you got to kind of see it. And so um, the, the two tackles entering their second year had strong rookie campaigns. I think Abe Lucas probably was even a little bit better on – on par with then uh, Charles Cross was last year. Um, and you feel really good about the the group up front in that regard. Now it's just, can the, the centerpiece kind of come in there and kind of solidify everything together? They've needed a third, third receiving option, consistent third receiving option here for a couple of years. David Moore gave it to him for a little bit. Marquise Goodwin, a few games last year kind of gave them that sort of look, but they need more consistency out of a third piece. And I think Smith and Jigwa should be able to carry that carry that load for them. Um, uh, I'm eager to see what it looks like when they start playing games here as well. You mentioned uh, the center. There's also a, a bit of a battle there, no, right? Because there was a fifth-round rookie. I want to say it's uh, Olu Oluwatimi. Yes, correct. Um, he's been battling with the job. I think Evan Brown's going to win the job. Okay. Which, I mean, it shouldn't be a massive shock. I mean, a fifth-round rookie compared to an NFL veteran who started, you know, 25 games over the last two years in Detroit. Um, I, I think uh, Evan looked like he can hold the part. He's a bit, pretty big center. He's not tall, mm-hmm. but he's a big center. And I think the being a little bit undersized from a height standpoint probably plays to the center position a little bit better anyway to get under some of the, the, the defensive tackles and such. I think it's going to end up being his job. It is a competition, but I think it's trending that way. Pete Carroll even said this week that if they had to play a game right now, it would be his job, which is something he – doesn't really go out and say like that quite so much unless it's, I think, kind of shaded one direction. So maybe that's me reading too much into it, but I think it's going to be his job. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's, it's not just that they needed a consistent you know, third down or third weapon. It's, it's a real threat as a third weapon. And what will his presence do for just the rest of the offense and, and what that means for the run game? Did Just someone that defenses now have to account for. For sure. I mean, it'll mean that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf probably get double teamed a little bit less than they have the last couple of years. Um, it means that you're going to have to be cognizant of what that third piece is and actually game plan to try to stop it instead of being just like, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be fine. Just kind of, you know, getting by covering whoever they put in that position. Like he's a guy that teams are going to have to pay attention to, I think, uh, and worry about what he's able to, to do offensively. And, I mean, they've been searching, like I said, they've been searching for that third piece, whether it was, you know, drafting D. Eskridge, which hasn't worked out yet to this point because of injuries or otherwise, whether it was when they brought in uh, Philip Dorsett, um, signed him from the Colts, and then he was hurt and wasn't able to play for him. Um, I guess he was with New England when they brought him in, but he has that background. They've been looking for a speed guy. Smith and Jigba isn't really a speed guy per se. He's just really smooth, not that he doesn't have speed, but he's not like a burner. Um, But having that extra piece, consistent piece that can do – things um have that playmaking ability has some run after the catch ability which they've lacked the last couple of years too 
that should kind of free everything else up in the passing game that little bit more. And they've got tight ends that I, none of them are going to be a thousand yard receiver, but the collection of them are going to be are still capable of putting up quite a bit of production on their own too. So it frees up everything in the passing game if you're able to have a third receiver that can produce. In terms of the running game, we know how important it is to Pete Carroll and the Seahawks team. And when Kenneth Walker is healthy, and I guess that's a big if, and when he's healthy, he's shown to be fantastic. He has a bit of a growing injury, and I guess the word is that it's not too serious. But how does the running back position stack up, and how has Zach Charbonnet looked as the backup to Kenneth Walker? Yeah, we're still learning that a little bit. They're different running styles. Like Charbonnet is a, is a much more like upright runner. He's bigger back than, than Ken Walker is. Uh, comparisons might be to somebody like a Matt Forte from like a, like a size build running style kind of standpoint with uh, Charbonnet. And he's a, he's good out of the backfield. He's a good pass catcher as well. So they've got different skill sets in that regard. But as you mentioned, they have to have depth at that position. I mean, even last year you had at one point, the Seahawks had Rashad Penny, really good running back when he's healthy, Ken Walker, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, four guys that you all know can play in some form or fashion for you, and they still needed to have Tony Jones take 20 you know, carries in a game against the Rams in December because they had their entire backfield beat up. And it's not the first time that they've had that happen throughout the years. Remember the year Marshawn and Robert Turbin had to come help them late in the year because they lost Penny and C.J. Procise and Chris Carson all in December within a two-week stretch. It's a position that does get beat up and have injuries, and you have to have depth to kind of compensate for that. And with Walker right now, it, it is a minor groin injury. They don't want it to be anything more than that, and it's August 10th, and so they're just taking it super cautious right now. They know what he brings to the table. Now it's just a matter of getting him back and ready to go for, for the start of the season. Actually, I wanted to ask about Devin Witherspoon as well. First-round pick, signed late, picks up an injury. Hasn't exactly been the perfect uh, offseason for him, but what's the status right now? Yeah, he, he tweaked his hamstring a uh, different place, same leg as the hamstring strain he was dealing with in OTAs back in the in the offseason. Um, that was on Wednesday, I think, that that happened. So he's not going to play tonight, I wouldn't expect. He hasn't practiced the last few days. Um, but other than that, I think he's looked pretty good, like um, as you would expect from a top pick. They've had him play in nickel, and that's not, a, that's not by any means a shot at, at Witherspoon that he – quote-unquote, can't unseat whoever is there. Like, Mike Jackson and Trey Brown have had outstanding training camps so far, too. That goes back to the conversation about the, the depth and the talent that they have in the secondary I was mentioning earlier. Like, that position group looks really strong. I don't know that they have a Richard Sherman ceiling-type corner in that group. Maybe Devon Witherspoon becomes that eventually, but the depth and the talent there, they've got a number of guys that can play that spot. And Mike Jackson hasn't given an inch in the battle for that job. Tariq Wollin hasn't even really got into camp flow yet, and we know what he did last year as well. Trey Brown was really good two years ago before he got hurt, and now he's kind of looking like he's that guy again. So there's a lot of competition at that spot. And when you look at Witherspoon and the fact that – think of how many top receivers you see nowadays line up in the slot anyway – if you're if you're if you want to be a top cornerback in the league and want to travel covering receivers, you're probably going to need to know how to play out of that position at some point or another as things go along uh, and progress anyway. So um, I think they're just because of how good everyone else has been there at that position, they're testing the versatility there, seeing how he's coming along, and um, and I don't think the holdout was. I, I don't think you bat an eye much about that. They got to figure it out, and he's in there, and and all of that. So a little TBD. We're not going to be able to see him tonight or or whatnot, but I, I think what they've seen of him in camp so far, they've been quite quite happy with. 
a Seahawk legend made his return. Uh, Bobby Wagner came back to the team this year, and and I saw some, some people mention how he looks really impressive in training camp as well. What are you? What is your take on him? And can he be more than just a good story coming back this year and be, be more than just like a part time contributor? He looks like Bobby Wagner to me. I don't know that we need to make it over comp- overly complicated in some regards. I, we've seen him play for a decade now. He's he's Bobby Wagner. Like maybe the speed ain't quite what it used to be there, but he certainly knows what's going on at the position and can make up for some of that with um, his knowledge and his background and experience. We've seen top tier linebackers play well deep into their thirties before Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, et cetera. That's a position where if you can stay healthy, you can do that. Um, and I think Bobby is that kind of a mold of a guy. So um, he takes really good care of himself, his body and all that. He has looked good in camp, but he's also going to be like a Hall of Famer. It's not a shock to me that Bobby Wagner looks good <laughs> coming back to the Seahawks. When he had a good year last year with the Rams, despite everything falling apart around there with guys getting hurt and injured and such. And, um, you know, he had a couple injuries here later in his tenure before he left uh, the last couple seasons here and all that. But, like, Bobby can still play. He's still Bobby. Curtis, you're still Curtis, man. We always appreciate the chats. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, guys. Take care. It's Curtis Crabtree from Fox 13 in Seattle. Uh, if you're not already following, at Curtis underscore Crabtree on socials. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I saw some hype around Bobby Wagner from training camp, and I'm like, is it just like, you know, hype? Is, is it, it just, just like, like, hey, 5-4 is back in the linebacker Yeah, curve? and it's yeah, just people 100%. are happy or whatever, but it's like, you know, like Curtis said, he's like, no, he, he looks like Bobby Wagner, and like, dude's 33. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the age that Richard Sherman like retired. At. I remember there was some talk of Richard Sherman coming back at the age thirty three oh, yeah. and was like, oh yeah, how is he gonna you know whatever whatever. And it's like, man, because if Bobby comes back and he's like Bobby Wagner and they can, I wouldn't say hide him, but not uh, ask uh, as much of him. If he's the Bobby Wagner of two years ago, but not ask as much of yes. him. Like, there's no way he's gonna be peak Bobby Wagner. But yeah, of course not. If you can be the the nice running mate to Jordan Brooks, uh, Brooks who has to come off pup still, yeah. And provide another, I don't want to say voice, but a a intelligent set of eyes on that defense. Yeah. Because one thing that was huge last year, just how misaligned they were, mm-hmm. you're not getting anything by, Bob, by Bobby Wagner at this age as far as like pre-snap alignment. If he can set everyone else up and still provide a physical component to his game – that, that to me is like one of the more unspoken things of what the Seahawks defense could be because there's all these concerns with our defensive line. You've brought it up. I have my concerns what the defensive line is going to be like too. But you've got like a real defensive quarterback on there. That could alleviate a lot of concerns because the, the, the pieces in the back end, you got Quandre Diggs, but you have some young. It's a very young. Like five, half, yes. the, half the starters have been drafted within the past three years. Yeah. And Wagner like weirdly slots in perfectly. Just to be the guy to be the grandfather there. Yeah. Like, hey, like, this is where you got to be. Well, and it's kind of trust like, yourselves to be great. Well, there's also a reason why linebackers are leaders on mm-hmm. defense. Well, number one is because of, play, you know, you call the defensive plays and all that. But there's also a big role in terms of keeping the position groups together. Like, you almost, you, you kind of have to be the guy that, like, you see this often with a number of different teams. They're not just play callers. They're actual big-time leaders, and they're mm-hmm. usually the guys that kind of glue together the D-line, the linebackers, and the and the DBs. You know what I mean? Like You bring the groups together because in the NFL, it's so specialized. Like, mm-hmm. it's, the, the it's, cornerback, it's hard the to lead. The DBs are in one, training in one spot. Yeah. Like, they're not always together. But it's hard to lead and push other people 
when you're the safety dropping back 20 yards. Yes. It's like, well, you're not in the trenches here. Yeah. At least the linebacker is like taking on blocks, shedding blocks, making a couple of tackles, taking the abuse. Again, not that safeties. I love safety play. It's my favorite position on the field. But when you're like 20 yards removed from yeah. everyone else, it's a little. Well, and also like when you're when you're taking away when you're playing safety, if you're doing your your job to the if you're doing your job perfectly, the ball isn't going nowhere near you. Right. Right. So it's like you're 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 playing a lot of lonely football mm-hmm. where you're taking space away, you're taking lanes, passing lanes away, you're and you're covering and you're kind of laying uh, laying in the weeds a little bit. If you're playing your best, you don't really even get activated all that much in terms of like making a physical contact unless somebody like breaks through and you have to go and make a play. But I just look at the Seahawks team back, and I don't mention this to you a couple of times. And we had this discussion on Tuesday's show about you start going through a lot of NFL rosters and over half the league, you're like, you know what? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this team's going to win the Super Bowl, but I can see how they feel pretty good about all their starters pretty much, right? They feel pretty good about what roster they're heading into the season with. And I know the Niners still, I'd say, have the higher end in terms of some position players, mm-hmm. but I think the Seahawks make up for it in the depth that they have. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan's play calling and how their offense hums and how they play defense. As good as Pete Carroll is, you have to give a slight edge to what uh, uh, the Niners have done. But it wouldn't shock me if the Seahawks really compete for the division this year. Like, I don't think it's like everyone kind of has the Niners running away with it. Like, I kind of think it's going to be tight. It would be, you know, to what Curtis was saying, it's like you can understand the the floor of the team. Yeah. What's the ceiling? If if that's the ceiling, that's an amazing outcome for the Seahawks. Because I just feel like it's around 10, 11 wins. And maybe the 49ers live at 11 to 12. But it's like we were talking about one or two wins. Sure. And that can swing, especially if you win the head-to-head matchups. But you mentioned just how, how many teams feel good. I'm just going to list off teams here for okay. you, okay? And you just tell me if you feel good about their quarterback situation. And we kind of alluded to this the other day, but when you actually really do the exercise, it's actually really stunning here. Buffalo, Josh Allen. Feel good, yes or no? Yes. Miami with Tua. With the injuries, I don't feel great. Okay. Don't feel uh, great. New England with Mac Jones? On the fence. Uh, Rodgers and Jets? Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. I have my doubts, but yeah. I still feel decent. Like, I may not feel as ecstatic as sure. producer Don but, does, but, but I feel but, fine. But, but yeah. it's a very good spot. Yeah. Burrow? Oh. Lamar? Yes. Kenny Pickett? Eh. It's a plan. It's a plan, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Deshaun? Well, I mean... From a plan standpoint, yes. if you committed like 200 some million and three <laughs> draft picks, I mean, he better be good. He better be good. But at least he's shown he's very good. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. But they've mm-hmm. also drafted Will Levis. Okay, but he, but okay, baseline of like, okay, yeah. like you go into the season with him starting and you. Okay, but we're be, at two now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the Colts with Anthony Richardson. Yes. Uh, Houston with CJ Stroud. Mahomes, Herbert. Yes, yes. Yes. Raiders with Jimmy G. Yeah. And Denver with Russell Wilson. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's two in an entire conference. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And I'm not saying all these guys are going to be good, but I can be like, I can, I can entertain the idea of going into the season with it and I'll, see what happens. Give them their opportunity yes, to be good. Precisely. And then just really quickly, we'll, we'll go through the, the NFC. Hurts, Dak, yep. Mm-hmm. Daniel Jones? Well, hey, they, I, I can see it again. I can see it again. They made it work, but I'm a little bit skeptical. I'm but skeptical. Still, like, but I, it, I, I'm willing to see it again. Hey, he was better in the playoffs yes. than Kirk Cousins was. Facts only. Uh, Washington, uh, Sam Howell, and Jacoby. Nah. Yeah, okay. So that's three now. Kirk? Yeah. Goff? Yeah. Jordan Love? Yeah. Justin Fields? Oh, yeah. Tampa Bay with Baker and Kyle no, Trask? Okay, so we're at four. Not. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Young? Yeah. Derek Carr? Yeah. Desmond Ritter? 
Mm, I don't okay. know about him. Five. But five. Let's just say Brock Purdy. Whatever happening in 49ers. Well, 49ers. Yeah, they're fine. I don't care who plays. Really you can play like quarterback. Riddler question mark. Right. Gino. Yeah. Stafford. Yeah. And whatever's happening in Arizona. Kyler's out for the year, but Kyler. Kyler. But if he, yeah, it, we're talking five teams that are like, hey, my quarterback. I'll I'll see what happens for this year. Exactly. And and that's and that, a wild outcome. And yeah, I'm not saying I feel like you can maybe a third of those teams. I'm like. If I had to bet, maybe I bet against them. But sure. I can understand you going into the year and seeing what happens. Even Daniel Jones, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not the biggest Daniel Jones guy, but, but I'm he like, earned his opportunity to show it again. He made the playoffs. He won a playoff game. He had a, some big moments. It's like, yeah, I can understand why you want to try it again. I generally don't recall a season where you could say 27 teams are like, "Hey, our quarterback plan for this year is solid." It makes sense, at least, you know. 27 teams, and that's what I'm saying. And if your quarterback plan makes sense. I imagine every one of those teams thinks, hey, you know what? We can end up in the playoffs. And that's what makes this year super. I mean, what's going to happen is we know. It, it always happens, right? Half of those guys are going to struggle. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of stuff that happens. Injuries will pile up and teams going to go sideways and it's going to get derailed, right? But it's more about like, are you giving yourself a chance to at least be in the mix potentially? And it, when you start going through these NFL rosters, it, it looks pretty impressive. And I think part of it also is now that's the quarterbacks, but the influx of talent into the NFL the past, I'd say, three or four years is really starting to show. Like, we know how we talk so much about um, the receiving boom. I think that's been a huge, huge factor that's made the NFL. I think a lot of teams feel a lot better. I mean, it's been, what, four, four, three drafts in a row where we've had receiver after receiver coming in. Mm-hmm. And you look at even the office alignment are getting more athletic. It's finally kind of coming to the point where you're getting the office alignment now or, or building up towards it. I really think we, we've got we've gotten a jump in NFL talent the past few years, and, and it's really kind of coming to the forefront this season. Vic Nazar, Satyar Shaw, back in a minute here. We'll talk to Harmon Dial on the other side from The Athletic in Vancouver here on Sportsnet Second hour of the People's Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Bik Nazar, Satyar Shah, watching some tennis, Carlos Alcaraz, struggling here in the Oof. second set. Yeah. Carter McDavid watching them. It looked like Leon Dreisaitl as well, both uh, checking out Alcaraz in Toronto. So they going to the Leafs? <laughs> They're like, what tennis event comes to Edmonton? You know that's happening. The fine to, ones. You know tomorrow in Toronto is going to be like, McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Are you trying to send a message to Matthews? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's uh, talk to our next guest, Harmon Dial. Uh, follow him at Harmon Dial 2 on socials and uh, also does great work at The Athletic in Vancouver covering the NHL uh, and, and writes for our, the, the entire NHL and, and has a great piece talking about how superstars – uh, decide uh, whether to sign long term with their team. Connor McDavid didn't have to deal with this uh, stress. He loved the River Valley in Edmonton and wanted to stay there. He uh, actually took less than he yeah. should have. Honestly, like you know how we keep talking about like why do NHL players not get paid enough? It's honestly it's the fault of their best players not holding firm and saying I sure. want the full twenty percent, sure. right? Because if he held firm and said I want the full twenty percent, all the top salaries would go up. I, I know the league is messed up. It is. Yeah. But if they if the players truly wanted to get twenty percent, their best player has to push for it. And so far, no player in the NHL has. Harm agree. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the interesting things that just in having a lot of conversations with agents, players, 
executives around the league, they're they're sort of waiting for one day, whether it's a McDavid or a Matthews or a McKinnon, one of those you know top three, top five talents in the NHL to actually flex their leverage and demand the full 20% because you're right. There are absolutely a lot of scenarios where uh, these players can demand what they want and the, and the team has no option but to give them that amount of money because what are, what are they going to do? Lose, lose a top five player, player in the NHL. But this is where I think hockey players in general, the attitude has always been different than, let's say, the NBA, where in hockey there's more it, – it's more team over self. And I think players are obviously more cognizant of, well, if I take up the full – 20% then how am I mm-hmm. how, how how's the team around me going, going to have enough cap space to actually play on a winning team which which matters a lot to these guys uh, but yeah it's it's something that I think with Matthews especially is, is going to be interesting I don't think Matthews is going to push for the full 20% but if you look at the contract that he signed and even to a lesser degree Marner right if you mm-hmm. go on on cap friendly right now every player under contract right now with a $10 million cap or higher. I think they're about 15 players. All of them, except Matthews and Marner, signed max term deals in terms of either seven or, or, or eight uh, years there. And especially actually, especially in the case of um, Matthews, he, he, he got the 11.6 and change AAV, and he was able to keep the term down to five years and walk himself straight to free agency, which we don't see... Uh, star players usually do, so that's already a, a case of a player sort of flexing his leverage a little bit more, and I'm curious to see, right? It, it, it sounds as if some of the speculation has been that he might take a shorter-term deal, you know, to, somewhere between two to five years. So if he does that and keeps the cap at high, it may not be the sticker shock of a star player taking and demanding 20%, but it still could be a sign of, you know, a, a level a level of player empowerment that we haven't seen a whole lot of. Well, and and you're you're right too because you know when it comes to trying to fill out the rest of your roster, especially when you have you know you have 18 skaters who start every single night. It, it, it there's a lot of players you got to fill plus your goalie. But we're already kind of seeing there the middle class going away, and and there's like either the halves, and then you have a bunch of guys on cheap contracts essentially. And if if these players let let's say that. You know, next time McDavid is up, he pushes to get 18. percent Well, that's going to also raise the salaries for everybody else, but also makes makes the middle class get smaller and smaller. And that's a different discussion in terms of you know what should happen with the CBA or whatever. But I think right now the big reason why you're seeing a lot of players not get anywhere near say 12 million dollars per season or even 10 million dollars per season because it's like when McDavid's making 12 and a half, like how can you justify paying somebody who's clearly a cut below even close to 11 million? Now, if all of a sudden he gets say 15, 16 million per season, then all of a sudden those those next level guys, 10, 11, 12, sounds a lot say I mean it, it makes a lot more sense to give those guys the money, but I just wonder when it comes to the league, like the middle class is getting smaller and smaller and it just kind of shows you how important it is for teams because I think as time goes on here, more players will push for a bigger share of what they can get. So what does that what does that say about drafting and developing players, especially for for teams like Vancouver who can't keep paying everybody? It's massive. I mean, look at whether it's teams like Tampa Bay, whether it's uh, Toronto, any contending team that is um, that's sort of in a position where you've got star players and you're paying the market value, they're always searching for bargain guys. They're always searching for league minimum guys to fill out, whether it's third-line wing roles or 
to play in your bottom six, even even supporting guys, right? Like fi- like an example of Toronto finding a guy like M- Michael uh, Bunting, having him on such uh, at such a cheap rate, playing top line minutes with uh, with Matthews, and then it's like, all right, we can't afford this guy when he wants to get paid. We we have to move on and find the next Bunting, right? It's you're constantly in a cycle of um, of shedding those cheaper guys, especially because one of those cheap guys perform inevitably they're going to want to get paid and somebody's going to pay them so that's what you need a constant stream and constant constant sort of conveyor belt of uh, young talent coming especially as more and more teams become capped out as we've seen in the cap era the pool for teams that are looking for these bargain options is, is so competitive these days it's becoming harder to find diamonds of the rough they're still out there but that's why the best bet is to be able to draft and develop them uh, yourself because it's not only that you get them on their entry level contracts, but even beyond that, their first few RFA years, especially when they don't have arbitration rights, you can squeeze these guys, right? Like look at a team like Edmonton right now, where whether it's somebody like an Evan Bouchard, right? They draft and develop him. He's playing top four minutes for them. He's going to play a massive role and he doesn't have arbitration rights. So they're just going to squeeze him as much as they can bridge him. And that's how they're going to sort of fill up the rest of the rest of their um, roster and key positions, whether it's him, whether it's even a guy like Ryan McLeod that um, last season he had no arbitration rights. So even though he was a really solid, speedy, bottom six, underrated centerman, it's like, yeah, we can grind this guy to a million. A, a Canucks example is a guy like Nils Oglander, right? Uh, able to get him for $1.1 million if he pop, and, and get two years of term. If he pops this season, if he's able to break out, then – not only do you get a lot of value in the first year, but the second year as well. So there's a lot of team control that you're able to, uh, uh, to, to garner. And that's the type of long runway that, again, even if you find, let's say, a, a bunting type in free agency, you might only get two or three years before it's like, okay, we're going to have to pay this guy, right? I look at uh, Florida. Florida's going to be in a tough spot soon because, yeah, they found a, a bunch of bargain guys, like whether it was Duclair, whether it was Verhage, um, and, and on and on, but eventually you have to pay those guys, and that's why Florida, for example, this offseason, is like he's a year away from getting paid. We have to trade Duclair, and um, you have all these more expensive extensions kicking in, and now it's like, oh, we can't really afford to spend on defensemen. So that's why it's so massive to be able to draft and develop uh, these sorts of uh, cheap guys because you're absolutely right. The middle class is um, is becoming a tough spot to be in if, if you're an NHL player and teams can't uh, afford it a lot, at least until the cap goes up. I, I do want to get into your piece over at The Athletic, uh, which is a fantastic read, but just kind of going back to the 20% thing and why it hasn't been enacted yet by any players, it's almost as if the eight-year trade-off isn't even worth it for the players to push it, that the, the sense of security, rather than finding security in the money, rather than the term, is is the trade-off that the owners get to win on. Yeah, and, and this is where it takes a very special case to be able to... Uh, to demand both, right? Mm-hmm. If you want both the term and uh, and the and the cap hit that you want, there are very few. Like, sure, McDavid can do it, um, Matthews can do it, but at, at a certain tier, even below that. Um, but it's going to take one guy to push everyone else up, right? That's the thing. Yeah, no, that, that's fair, and, and that's why you look at like even in the case of looking at let's say Elias Patterson right now, his mm-hmm. contract situation and what he could demand. It's like. McKinnon is such a strong ceiling there at, let's say, what is he around, like 12.6, mm-hmm. uh, just above McDavid. It's like 
that's it's hard to justify getting to that type of number if you're if you're in Pedersen's shoes. But if now all of a sudden, if if Matthews is able to uh, sort of plant his uh, flag in the ground, and especially having that UFA status as a franchise player in Toronto, if he's able to push push and get 13, 14, well, guess what? The the McKinnon comp is no longer relevant, or 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 really. Um, or really as, uh, as, rel- as comparable for a guy like Pedersen. A guy like Pedersen can then point to somebody like Matthews and, and push to use that as, as more of a reference point for the ceiling. Um, and again, this is why even in the Pedersen negotiation, I'm curious to see whether, like, like how motivated and how incentivized he is to get a deal done before the start of the season versus playing things out. Because there are a few potential reasons you could look at as, as sort of, plausible reasons for why you'd potentially want to wait, right? Number one, to see if uh, Matthews sort of raises the bar higher um, to, to put yourself in a position to make more money there. And, and more importantly, even just to even see how the team does, right? You'll probably have a much better sense of where the Canucks are at as an organization and whether you can believe in the franchise building an actual winner during your prime a few months into the, into the season when you've had a chance to see, okay, how do the new additions look? How does the full season under, under Rick Tockett look? Uh, have we had a chance to stabilize things, right? And, and to leave your um, options flexible in terms of um, your your future. So that's why in, in this negotiation, I'm really curious to see um, with Pedersen whether – like how motivated is he to get a deal done before the start of the season? Yeah, and I think that's going to be the most important thing. And I mentioned this on the show yesterday. I think, you know, if we look at what we learned through the JT Miller negotiations was the Canucks clearly made an offer, but it was nowhere near the offer they ultimately made in September before training camp where they got it done. And, you know, it's hard to figure, it's hard to know exactly where things are at right now with the Canucks and Elias Pettersson because things have been quiet. Every time you check in, it's like it's not much going on. But the sense I kind of get is... It, and I'm not sure numbers have been exchanged, you know, you know, strong numbers. But I think in in terms of conversations, I wouldn't be surprised where Vancouver may be looking at the Aho contract right now and saying, hey, you know, Aho signed for 9.75 per season, and you know, based on precedent that's been set, that that's kind of the range that we kind of think might make sense. But clearly, for Pedersen, he's not signing a long term deal if the number is not at least 11 million per season. I don't think. So the question is. Is Vancouver willing to make the type of offer that would have to make Pedersen think? And we all know what that offer has to look like. It's plus ten million per season, anywhere from ten to eleven and a half million per year. So you're talking about what, eighty to ninety-two million total money, for instance. I just kind of wonder: Does Vancouver go that high to get something done? Yeah, and I don't know how they feel uh, about those numbers internally. But if you're asking me as an outside observer. You do that in a heartbeat if you're the Canucks in terms of getting to whatever AAV it, it, it takes, even if it's 11, even if it's slightly above that, uh, to secure a long-term deal. Because I'll tell you this, with the way the cap is expected to spike over the next few seasons, that deal is going to look like a bargain so quickly you won't even believe it. Uh, and when I was doing a sort of uh, a piece earlier in the month talking to a lot of agents about, okay, if you were in Pedersen's position, what would you be thinking about? A lot of them were pointing to, pointing to the fact that there's a lot of validity to the idea that, hey, in a few years when the cap is, you know, 90, 92, 94 million, that um, you're, as a player, you're almost going to, whatever contract you sign today is going to look like a bargain at, at that point. So you've really got to think about, do you want to sign longer or more, or more medium term? And that's why, again, from the team's perspective, that means 
I'm looking to get that contract done as soon as possible, especially if I can get it done before the Matthews uh, Matthews contract comes in and potentially raises the ceiling of of what these star players are asking for before the cap has a has a chance to to rise. I'd be aggressive about trying to get a long term commitment done because again, even if like the one thing that if if I was in Pedersen's shoes, the, the other thing you have to keep in mind again because Matthews has done this in the past is. Um, if you're in the player's shoes, a medium-term deal might be favorable to you. So it's not you can't just take a long-term deal at a given either. So for me, if, I would be if I was in the Canucks' shoes, aggressive about putting my best offer on the table before the season starts on an eight-year deal, just to secure that long-term commitment, not have to worry about it, have my franchise player secured, locked up, be able to move past it, not have it as a distraction hanging over, and then be able to just focus on the product uh, on, the, on the ice, just because, again, I think the longer this, this uh, sort of drags out, uh, the more drivers and, and factors are probably working in the player's direction. Yeah, and, and, you know, what I find, you know, to the point you made a bit earlier, circling back to it, is how does Elias Pettersson feel about going into the season not having something figured out? And listen, we're talking about a lot of money here. Pettersson's due to make $10.2 million, but considering that he's going to be 25 when the season is over— He's banked at the end of it $24 million in total salary, which it, it's a lot of money. But for a player of his caliber, if you do that and then you sign, say, a three year bridge deal at, say, nine per season, because I don't think Vancouver would want to do a, a shorter term deal and give him 10, 11 per season. The question is, is he comfortable perhaps risking injury or whatever and then coming away, you know, not being able to bank at least $100 million for his career? I know it sounds fun, like funny money to a lot of people listening here, but that's the one thing I wonder about too, right? Because as much as yes, he might be look, considering a shorter term deal. I know all the rumors have kind of been there that maybe he's open to doing something like that. I just wonder if you if you make it worth his while and you can look at it and say, well, after this season, I'm going to have earned at least $100 million by the time this next contract ends. That's a lot different than looking at a situation where you might be, after his next contract ends, having made 45 or $50 million, for instance. And that's precisely why you go aggressive for the team, right? Make him look at that whatever total figure, total figure in the high 80s or, or low 90 million dollars range, and make him really think about it. am I am I comfortable turning this down, guaranteed mm-hmm. right now? Uh, because that's the other thing is in in having had a lot of conversations with agents, they'll they'll tell you that when you put that massive amount of money in front of a a player. A lot of times, even though that may not be the right or the best contract for them to sign in terms of maximizing their long-term financial uh, earning power, it's just so hard to turn down that mm-hmm. they just take the security in the moment. And that's precisely what you want to do if, uh, if you're um, in, um, in, the Canucks, in the Canucks situation. And the other side of it, too, is it also comes down, comes down to the player's personality in terms of how comfortable are you with the pressure of going into a season like this one where all the storylines from day one in camp are going to be about your contract are going to be about your future. Uh, If the team slips at all at the start of the season, all the rumors are going to be about your future. If you struggle individually, all that pressure is going to be uh, on you in terms of, Hey, this is a platform year. This is a massive season to prove that I wasn't just an elite player for one year, but that I can sustain that level year in and year out how are you going to feel about, about that if you struggle out of the gate, right? And this is where it's also interesting that Pedersen, if you think back to the shortened 56-game season, which was the final year of his ELC, 
playing in a contract year, he really struggled out of the gate. And, and I don't know why that is, right? I'm not going to pretend to speculate to know why. But what was that experience like for him? I'd be really curious to know. Curious to know and, and did he walk away from that experience? There's almost two ways of looking at it. Did he walk away from that difficult experience in the contract year looking at it as looking at it and then eventually last season getting on back almost as like a, well, I've gone through this difficult contract year and, and having that, all that pressure on me and I know I can overcome it and, and that he'd be more comfortable going into this next season without a contract? Or was that a miserable experience and he's looking at that and going, I would rather just get a contract done, have the security, have the peace of mind, not have it be a potential distraction for the team, for myself. Uh, and this is where, again, only he and his, he and his camp are, are going to know the honest truth about what his makeup and, and what his personality is. And um, it, it really does come down to your character and, and how you're driven and, and how you're motivated and what you value mentally. Well, we're sitting here talking about 75, 85, 90 million dollars. And I'm sure there's people listening and be like, oh, so difficult for these decisions <laughs> to, for, for these players to make. But in your piece, you kind of detailed, it's like, look, I, I know we're talking about huge, large sums of money and there's a big reward to it. But this is, these are life changing conversations that these, agents are having with players what did you discover through the whole process yeah the, the interesting thing with uh with looking at that there were a couple things that stood out to me number one is that when you're a franchise player at the level of let's say a Pedersen or, or Matthews you're going to get paid no matter where you go right and so that means you can afford to be more picky about other factors that you care about whether that is playing on a winning team whether that's the city you live in and the sort of lifestyle you um, you want to live with when you look at the way, for example, Matthew Kajak forced his way out because he wanted a different change of pace and lifestyle, right? Um, that was a big takeaway, especially the winning side was winning is such an obvious factor that guys want, but especially star players because, sure, in free agency, if a middle-class player hits the market, he may only have one or two destinations where a team is willing to give him the bat. And so a lot of the times in those for those middle-class players, they're willing to forego playing on a winning team to get that money. These star players, they can get that money wherever they want, so they're motivated not only by that, but the other interesting thing was this idea that a, a player like Pedersen or, or Matthews, they're so driven by legacy, the idea of how they're going to be remembered when their career is over, and, and that's often why like nobody wants to be remembered as a guy that had all these individual accolades but never was part of meaningful team success, right? It's just a different level of respect um, that you achieve. And, and whether you want to be remembered as a guy that gets into the Hall of Fame or is, you know, in the, in the case of Pedersen, would you not want to be – would you not be pushing to be wanting to be remembered as one of the greatest Swedish players of all time? Like, I think these, these are driving factors that play into these players' decision-making a lot more than even the public realizes, despite it being – such an obvious um, factor. So that was the number one thing that in having conversations with, whether it was, you know, having Stamkos or a lot of the agents, that stood out. And then the other thing that was really interesting was the fact that even on a day-to-day basis, players are looking at almost everything when they're evaluating the state of a franchise in terms of the minute details of support staff, nutrition staff, practice facilities, how the way travel is handled, how everybody in the organization is, uh, is treated because everybody wants to feel like they are part of a first, first-class organization. And this is where 
it's it's massive to have an organization that's really functional and doesn't pinch pennies and everything from like the the types of meals that guys are fed after morning skate like players talk about all these types of things and they really care about how they're treated and they almost take it as a sign of how serious an organization is about uh winning a lot of times so i think those were a couple of the really interesting things that stood out besides the, the factors of like oh the appeal of um, what kind of city you're living in and, uh, you know, proximity to home and, and things of that nature. Harm, I always appreciate it, man. You're the best. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That's Harmon Dial from The Athletic in Vancouver. We got to run here. Vanny Sartini going to join us on the other side. We'll ask him how soon till uh, Aiden Hazard shows up at YVR. <laughs> we'll get to the <laughs> bottom of that uh, with Vanny on the other side, plus talking about two new signings for the Whitecaps here on The People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Show continues. People show coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Vic Nazar and Satyar Shah. I'll uh, I'll fill everyone in on why Satyar Shah is so stressed out and has been for the last hour. Oh, we'll, we'll do that in a bit after our next guest because uh, we're excited to talk to Vanny Sartini from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Vanny, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? We are doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, so so we, we we have to ask just because it's been in the news today. <laughs> Uh, is is are the reports true of, of of Aiden Hazard landing in Vancouver for the Whitecaps? Uh, I don't think so, to be honest. And if it's true, the the club didn't tell me anything, so yeah. that's okay. Have, have you been getting many messages about it? <laughs> well, no, but some of the like even my dad, to be honest, today I I talked with him. He was in he's in Italy, and I and I called him, and he said, "Hey, I read it on the internet that you guys are close to Hazard." So no, it's not true. Then. <laughs> but obviously, you would welcome a player of, of Eden Hazard's of course, caliber, of course, right? Of course, of course, yes, yeah. You know, um, uh, uh, if dreaming doesn't cost anything, right. why why not thinking about Mbappe or right. Neymar or whatever? <laughs> well, they want new homes too, right? Mbappe and Neymar, they're, they're on the market. All it costs yeah, like three hundred yeah. million the thing pounds. Is that Azar, yeah. Azar is without the contract, right. so we can actually sign him. Those guys are with the Paris Saint Germain and the window to buy players. It's over. So Azar is the only one who can actually. Can, could come here. That's the thing. Yeah, so what are you doing on the phone with us? You should be talking to them. You know, <laughs> PSG eliminates the contract and you're ready yeah. to go. Yeah, but that, that's, a, that's a front office thing. I'm, not, I'm yeah. just ready to coach him when he's landing. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about the two new signings, though. Uh, congratulations on, on those getting done. Uh, what does it mean for the club to uh, bring uh, the two new faces in? I think it uh, was a very good job by uh, our sporting director, our front office, to to sign Richie Larea and, and Sam Adekubi, two national team players, two players that uh, we actually wanted because um, we, I would say, we needed uh, uh, that kind of uh, quality, winning mentality, experience that probably was a little lacking in the team. And uh, I think that those two guys are going to, they have the, Possibilities to have an immediate impact on the team and help uh, us uh, reach in the objective that is uh, 
get into the playoff and then uh, if we do it uh, go as far as we can well and, and especially with you know you guys are gonna be heading into the stretch drive here to make sure you, you make the playoffs when you have your next uh, uh, MLS match coming up on, on August 20th here and you know adding a player like Sam Adekubi especially is considering you know he, he plays left back and we know how much offense gets created by from the fullbacks how intriguing is it having a player of his athleticism and his ability to be able to provide not only defensive coverage but be able to be able to push the ball forward no it's very it's very exciting Sam uh, to be honest, fit the profile of, uh, but even Richie too. To be honest, of the mm-hmm. of the player that we wanted for uh, for our system, for our way of playing, uh, specifically for Sam. To be honest, we were very close to to have him uh, at the beginning of the season in January. Then uh, it happened what it happened in Turkey with the uh, earthquake and everything. So it was impossible to basically do a negotiation at, at that time with his club, and uh, that's the reason why. We had to delay his arrival for a few months, but uh, he's a guy that uh, can really, as a classic wide player, he's very powerful. He can go and provide crosses. Uh, he's uh, really good when we have to uh, press teams uh, and uh, be very aggressive. So it's uh, it's a player that uh, he's a player that uh, I think is going to fit perfectly uh, what we what we do as a style of play at the wide you mentioned uh, that they're international players as well, but uh, you know, Canadian international players. What does it mean just to have the the, the, the local nationality uh, for the club? A lot, a lot, because uh, not only on in terms of quality, but in terms of also of recognition from the fans, from the media, and also uh, when you have uh, so you have players here that now they are playing in their own country. We have the World Cup here in three. So they're going to be even extra motivated to do well. And the other thing is that uh, when there's an international duty, if they go with the national team, they're not going to travel for a thousand of kilometers, but their camp is going to be likely, I don't know, in Toronto or in Vancouver. Uh, uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be logistically much, much, uh, much, much easier for us. When it comes to how your club has played so far this season, one thing that's been very exciting is how well you guys have been playing offensively and the amount of goals you've been able to score. And also your defensive game, especially within, in the MLS towards the end, was also towards the break here, was was also really solidifying. How strongly do you feel about uh, how your club is playing and, and, and how you kind of are getting closer to the ideal system you want to be able to play? Yeah, you know, I think we're playing well. We... Uh... So we started the the year so with a clear identity mm-hmm. with uh, a midfield that uh, is able to play and uh, to play vertical uh, in a way that uh, we're going to use a lot of player inside in the middle of the pitch in order to uh, try to create numerical superiority and play vertical with our with our midfielders. At the same time, we thought that we were lacking a little in terms of width of the field. Uh, so that's the reason why in the last few games we switched uh, a lot of times to a back three with playing with two wingbacks and uh, mm-hmm. signing uh, Richie and and Sam will help to have more solution in that uh, in that way so we can have uh, we can attack uh, uh, not only centrally very well like we've done so far but also with uh, having um, more solution even on the flanks like we did to be honest in the last couple of games of MLS and in the games that. Uh, in the in the big cup that we played last week, and uh, at the same time having the possibility to uh, be even more solid defensively, because now instead of playing with two centre backs, we're playing with three centre backs. 
do you enjoy like the, the the breaks from the schedule to be able to you know create new tactical diversity, or is it break away from you know the the uh, uh, one philosophy you'd like to have? Uh, no, because more or less I would say the philosophy and the principles stay the same. Mm-hmm. But this break was actually uh, really good because we have new players and you know you know we have uh, we the possibility we already in training session number three, but we have ten training sessions before the games against San Jose, so it's kind of a very fast, very short, new preseason in order to to help us be in uh, at top of our game in the last twelve games. So we are really, really reworking on uh, uh, what we're trying to do as a team and uh, being very specific with our, uh, I would say, uh, instruction to the player. And uh, it helps us also, I would say, giving a, uh, doing a little bit of a balance of what we've done so far and being objective in the things that we that we can improve, that it's hard to do when you have game by game by game. So I think it's, uh, it was uh, kind of welcome, even though, uh, we were in a we were on a roll because we were winning the last game. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we're gonna start where we finished uh, before uh, stopping the league. Well, and you know, the, obviously you've had a few players play at a high level this season, but maybe nobody higher than uh, than Ryan Gold and how well he's how well he's played. And obviously you leaned on him a lot this year. It has a, has having a little bit of break helped him especially in being able to even put more on his plate down the stretch. Yeah, you know, it's um, so Ryan didn't start the season. I would say on the highest note, mm-hmm. but uh, he got in condition after a month, a month and a half, and the last two months has been, I would say, on the caliber of, uh, I would say, con- a contender from the MVP of the league, to be mm-hmm. honest, in the last couple of months. And uh, uh, it's really hard to keep that kind of intensity for uh, for six months in a row. So actually, in the last game of the League's Cup, also he felt something like the classic, uh, I would say, tiring uh, uh, symptoms of a little nudge on the hamstring, little uh, um, pain on the leg. So I think that uh, this break is also important for him, but not only for him, for also a lot of players that played a lot of games. I'm thinking about Brian White, thinking about Tranko Veselinovic, I'm thinking about uh, Andres Kubas, that they went all in so far for the entire season and uh, having these two weeks where we could have three or four days off and then just concentrating on recovering in the best way to be ready from August 20th has been, uh, I would say, uh, a good thing for us. Uh, ten, days, uh, 10 days away till you're back on the pitch. Uh, what do you look forward to these three matches against here, uh, San Jose, Portland, and Chicago to end out the month? Yeah, we, yeah, you know, we, it sounds cliche, but uh, it's actually what we had to do. We had to face game by game because I think that, uh, to be honest, the sky is the limit, and uh, uh, I would it would be even limiting ourselves, telling us uh, now, hey, we want to make like uh, I don't know seven points the first four games, or maybe we're gonna maybe we can win here and tie there. No, we need to go there and go all in and try to win every game. We already showed during the season we beat uh, LAFC, we beat Seattle, uh, we uh, when. Uh, uh, toe-to-toe with two Mexican giants and we lost only in penalty kicks. So we have the possibility to beat every team. So we have to go in every game like it's a playoff game. And, uh, of course, it's probably not possible to win every game. But with this mentality, at the end of the season, if we win more games uh, than uh, the one that uh, uh, we could lose or tie, uh, for sure we'll be in a position to uh, enjoy the playoff this season. 
And uh, before we let you go, Vanny, uh, I do have to ask you about the biggest star in MLS. And it seems like every single time he steps out on the pitch, he does even something more incredible. And that is Lionel Messi. I know a lot of fans are are upset that you guys are not playing Miami, but you're, are you f- feeling a bit better not playing Miami with the way Lionel Messi is playing? I would love to play Miami for a reason, because the only way to play Miami for us this season is that they make the playoff, mm-hmm. we play the playoff, and, and uh, we make the playoff and we are in the MLS Cup final. And also, of course, it would be fantastic for us as a player, for me as a coach, even for our the, the Whitecaps fans to play against, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know if he's the best player in the history of the game, but for sure he's the best player in the last 20 years. So... Uh, I think it's a great thing that Messi arrived in MLS. And uh, I'm also uh, happy and not surprised that uh, he's having that kind of impact. First of all, because Miami not only signed Messi, but also three and other four players that can that help the team be better. But also his uh, quality, the great goal that he scored. And we are now in uh, MLS is now much more recognized abroad than he was before. So... Uh, it's going to be, I would say, even more uh, important to have him uh, in the league. And I hope that uh, sooner or later we're going to play them and, of course, beat them. That would be fantastic. Uh, Vanny, we really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll, we'll talk soon when you confirm the uh, next wave of uh, free transfers. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> let us Thank know when you get hazard. Yeah. Okay? yeah. <laughs> Whoever it is, let us know first. Okay. Okay. I'll call you guys first. Thank Sounds you good. very much. Yeah. Bye bye. It's Vanny Sartini from your <laughs> Vancouver Whitecaps. Got nothing on us. Oh, nothing. We just confirmed. Uh, here we don't go. Here we don't go. Here, here we don't go. <laughs> we going. No- <laughs> we ain't we- going nowhere. I'm not uh, leaving. Yeah. He's not leaving. But that's so, yeah. funny that his dad reached out and was like, hey, 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 we, I need tickets for this Hazard match. Like I said, once it gets out in uh, the British tabloids, it goes <laughs> everywhere, right? So got a call from Italy. So Hazard, is he joining? Oh, amazing. Oh, Just amazing. Uh, Shay but- looked at it. We looked at each other. We were like, how does that even start? Like, <laughs> who makes that leak? Where does that come from? Good Should- agents. <laughs> Good agents. Put anything out there. You never know. Because, look, we'll find out, I'm assuming, before the end of September. Hazard's going to sign an extension, end somewhere. I would assume he ends somewhere. Or retire. I know he's not going to retire. I think there's too much money for him to be, too much money for him to make. Just even if he just goes to. Uh, Saudi for a year or two and just yeah. is out of shape even there's like why do you walk away from the amount of money they can throw at you yeah. right I think I, he's I, still, like, I'm, I'm curious like why was this used as leverage right no I, I do think that there you know because obviously as a Chelsea fan and I'm trying to keep my mind off something right now don't bring it up by the way as a Chelsea <laughs> fan one thing I do know about I, I follow Hazard's career quite a bit right and one of the things that came out a little while ago was he feels really bad about what happened to Real. Like sure, he yeah, went yeah. to Real, huge transfer, didn't play and everything, and you know it really went poorly. That he he'd love to have another chance in Europe before it's all done. I think it's, I don't know if they're trying to use Whitecaps as leverage, but I, I do think his preference. Carlos is, just <laughs> plotting stories. Yeah, but because the problem with him is he's such a talented player, but you have to kind of build your entire attack around yeah. him. And given his age, it's just hard for him to go somewhere and be a starter in Europe. You know, so. It might have been his agents throwing something out there to try to create some sense of urgency for him to go somewhere in Europe, but 
he'll probably end up in Saudi with a lot of money. So the reason Sad has been stressed for the last hour. Are you doing and, this? And interacting with people in our inbox oh, who have been updating us. Thank man. you for all the updates coming in the inbox. 650, 650. Which, by the way, uh, get some submissions in for the mailbag. We'll do that uh, shortly after 6 o'clock. I might have to walk off here in 10 minutes. <laughs> Sad, like, during our conversation with Harm, during our conversation with Vanny, just like... Actively listening, I don't he's not slacking on the job, but in between, just like rubbing the forehead, stressed out, refreshing Twitter, on his phone, getting updates from friends, everything that's been going on. Uh, the thing that you yesterday were like excited, be like, oh, Chelsea sorting this out, Moises Casido coming to, mm-hmm. to Stamford Bridge, on and on, just got to f- finalize the details. News came earlier this t- today. It's like, hey, Brighton's still taking last-minute bids and want to see what happens. And you and I, even two hours ago, were like, yeah, Liverpool's going to be involved. But, you know, Liv- you know, FSG have notoriously smart transfers, but they don't usually go high-end. Right. They have decided to go high-end here and spend a huge amount of money breaking the British transfer fee record. Uh, 110 million dollars to bring in Moise a uh, pound sorry to bring in uh, which is like 160 million dollars or whatever yeah, it is to bring in Moise's casino just and by the way just to like that's just to negotiate yeah that's not that's not paying his wages no that's just that's just just to get him this is getting his him like because in, in so- european soccer yeah. the transfers like you don't trade player for trade yeah. the swaps don't happen very much but you give money and yeah. the money is used to go buy Which, other like, players I, I see the pros and cons of both sides it's about it's the same thing essentially right the money is not so much about yeah. you making money it's to use that money to go and get yeah. other players it's like acquisition but, money but like this one is like this side is fraught with peril because that was just like it's just tampering it's all ridiculous day. no it, it, i mean there's no such thing as tampering apparently in soccer because <laughs> guys has guys has a five-year contract but he agrees to terms with a new team out of nowhere but regardless like it's so good roman abramovich would never let this happen he would never let Liverpool gazump. Liverpool was the last time Liverpool gazumped anybody. This guy is so down Liverpool? bad. His club has spent a billion dollars in the past 14 months. And it's like, oh my God, we got to beat out to a transfer of $110 million. This would never happen in the old regime. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, like get Todd Bailey back negotiating. As soon as they put the you know sporting directors in negotiating content, negotiating these transfers, they're not getting them done. Sensibility came in. It's like, well, we can't spend this much amount of money for a guy who's not going to. They score spent goals. nearly a billion. What's another hundred and ten? They needed some Jay Z mentality. What's another hundred and ten to a uh, blue like me? Yeah, right. I'm stressed. I mean, so Chelsea spent like the last three months on this. Kaiseido agreed to de- agreed to terms and everything like that, right? This Just, is how Liverpool do, though. They, they show up in the last forty eight hours and we're like transfer. Yeah, but how do you let Liverpool outbid you? Liverpool. This guy's so when was bad. the last time they outbid somebody? Gakpo for thirty uh, million? Like, th- come on, you gonna but, let them like gazump you? But like that was like thirty million dollars. That's what I'm saying. That one was bad for Manchester United because yeah. it was like I, I think he and Ten Hag shared the same agent. And it's like, this should have been an easy layup. And it was like, nope, done. Done and dusted. Uh, away goes to uh, Liverpool. But yeah, the, my guy Satya Rashad is uh, going through it right now. Yeah, I'm like quickly like searching Romeo Lavia. Is he all right? <laughs> is, is, can he play 35 matches? Can he get Tushimani? Is he available? This is huge, though, because uh, we were talking yesterday. It's like Liverpool, hey, the, their their ceiling could be second. Right. Their floor could be seventh because, like, the midfield just looks a bit odd. It's exciting, but it looks a bit odd because there's no number six, no right. defensive midfielder. Now they go get their defensive midfielder, the best and suddenly, in the League, yeah. yeah, and suddenly, hang on, Casemiro still exists. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, um, the ceiling is obviously 
championship. Oh, yeah. I mean, it can... And the floor all of a sudden is four. So so we had the discussion the other day about... So City, for sure, we can say, obviously, they're going to be a top four squad. And, and hey, maybe we should talk about it as a top five because of the Champions League. If things work out the way it is, this year it could be the next year. So I mean, depending okay. on what happens and everything... The coefficient. It yeah. could be five... Champions League spot. So maybe it's a top five, so to speak. But let's just say top four for the time being, because that's kind of been the standard for the past little while here. The two t- clubs we felt comfortable saying these they, they should sure fire being the top four, it's Liverpool. and then, Sorry, it's Arsenal, but City number one. City and Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I think Liverpool getting Caicedo across the line puts them into that. There's there's a trio now I feel very yeah. confident about in the top four. And, I mean, it's, it's a huge jump for Liverpool, like you said, because maybe they were anywhere from four to five to six. But they literally solved the biggest issue they have and also the hardest issue to solve across soccer. And that's and why these, you know, CDMs, which are the defensive midfielders, are getting paid so much money. There's so few of them yeah. that can actually also be progressive that they're going to cost you 100 million pounds to acquire. Fascinating times uh, for the EPL. I'm stressed. Uh, and, and, and just across, it, it's odd though that like central defensive midfielders are like 100 plus million dollars now. Because because that's been the trend here. Declan Rice goes for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jude Bellingham well, kind I mean, of is that, but he's he's not really. No, but, I mean, but again, you're spending hundred million dollars on that. Well, it, it's more about central midfielders. Yeah. So Jude Bellingham and even Enzo Fernandez, mm-hmm. they can play CDM, but they're more central but yeah. more progressive. That you'd like to have somebody play behind them, and then they play a little bit ahead, but not playing. We well, mentioned 10. Enzo. That's another one, like another hundred million dollar midfielder. But you know, I will say this: like I feel better paying a hundred million plus for Jude Bellingham and a and a Enzo because of everything else they can provide. For the CDM, it's it's, it's hard, but it's, it's the price of doing business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just the price of doing business. It's a lot of money for someone to not score goals. I, I apparently Chelsea fans are taking it really well already. Yeah, great. They're all like, what? They're out already. They're, uh, the, the funniest thing is you saw all these Chelsea fans like you got to you got to get Caicedo. And now that Caicedo's done, it's like, oh, I don't want to spend 110 million on Ecuadorian Scott McTominay. <laughs> <laughs> I man. The, like the, the the soccer cut up videos of like hype videos on YouTube. It's like the next signing for Chelsea or Manchester United. This is like this is the skill set. Then he goes to Liverpool. It's like delete, 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 delete. delete. delete it's delete, all delete. done. Delete all They're your all gone immediately. Yeah. Uh, this text. Your target market has very little interest in European soccer. Let's talk more about Week One NFL preseason. We spoke to Curtis Crabtree earlier, yeah. so make sure to check that out. And I would beg to differ based on the reaction we've had. The inbox has been fired up yes. on the EPL talk the last three days. Yes. So I get it. Hey, maybe it's not your cup of tea, but let me tell you, there's people. A lot of people pour in the tea. Yes, because uh, the the EPL buzz. A lot of uh, tea and biscuits right now. <laughs> with the season starting tomorrow, this isn't true. Uh, West Ham terminated Maguire contract <laughs> after his first training session. Six fifty, six fifty, coming into the Tunbar Lumber text message inbox. Not quite. All right, so let's uh, let's let's quickly run this down. Okay, we mentioned our, our three that we feel are confident going to finish in the top three. Let's just extend that to seven. Is it the, the end up in Europe? Yeah. So let's do our top seven. Okay. So those three easily. Let's just go in order. City one. City one. Yeah. You com- feel comfortable putting Arsenal two? I put Arsenal two. Yeah. All right. Right now, putting Liverpool three. I almost just can't do it out of just like out of spite. My DNA is just yeah. not built to like put Liverpool ahead of them. I'll say Liverpool three. Yeah, who do you put number four? Manchester United. Uh, I said yesterday. I think the 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 ceiling is two, floor is five. Chelsea losing out on Casado, I think, is like oh that, that hurts. Like, like that's gonna be the difference. That's that's so. gonna hurt. Like I, I was banking. Hey, you get Casado. I feel good about Chelsea finishing top four. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like lucky to get a fifth. 
Yeah, they're probably in that in that five that, that six range. That one transfer, it was well, kind of swung for three for three clubs. Well, here. you talk about how Liverpool was Actually, missing five that. Clubs. You have to talk about how yeah. Liverpool was missing that guy. Chelsea was missing mm-hmm. that guy. Like they really needed that type of player as well. Now getting Tyler Adams, he, he's a similar player, but nowhere near the mm-hmm. type of caliber that obviously uh, Caicedo is at. So I just don't think the the higher end, and also losing Nkunku, who was supposed to be the the real fulcrum of their attack for at least four months. Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I don't feel confident about Chelsea finishing in the top five right now. So United four. Yeah, yeah. Also take Chelsea five, and I'll put Villa six. Okay, so I'd say I feel better about Chelsea at five. I'd probably put Chelsea five, Newcastle six. Is Tottenham that that washed now that they they lose? Well, Harry Kane's gone. Yeah, are they that washed? Go and get Romelu. <laughs> come 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 get Lukaku. Come we'll give him to you for free. Uh, I can't figure out a seventh though. Luton Town. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I mean, okay, Brighton, they just lost too much. Yeah. But I will say, that, I mean, I, you know, I was ripping to Zerbi and, you know, how he's been behaving and all that. But, like, he's doing stuff that Pep is, guard is, oh, yeah. is, is copying now all of a sudden with how they try like to play from, like, they, they like to invite pressure before breaking through lines and everything like that. And I just think he's got so many different... Oh, Newcastle, that's what we're getting. Yeah, I think Newcastle's... Okay, Newcastle... Newcastle's, they made some additions, too. I'll, I'll put Newcastle 6, Austin Villa 7. You're putting Aston Villa ahead of... Tottenham? Yes. Like, easily. Yeah. Easily, without even consideration. Uh, well, we'll get into this more, because I want to do relegation candidates, and also I'll look ahead of the weekend's fixtures later on in the show. But first, the mailbag on the other side here on The People Show, home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.